There's no denying that the COVID-19 pandemic has placed a dark cloud over New York City, and the rest of the world for that matter. But bright spots still shine through each and every day. Among them, community gardens that have long been a place of comfort and hope for weary New Yorkers. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape. A new book celebrates New York City's community gardens, as well as the people who create, cultivate, and enjoy them. It's called Rooted in the Hood. The author is Anna Angeladakis. Anna, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for inviting me. So let's start off with a bit of history as to how many of these community gardens came to be. It's really a story of making beauty out of blight, right? Absolutely. And it's, in many ways, it's so contemporary with what we're going through now, sort of like trying to uh, exactly create something, uh, just different perspective uh, out of adversity. So it was, the timing was actually quite interesting. So when did these community gardens really start to sprout up in New York City? We are talking about the 70s and the 80s. That's when uh, New York City was totally devastated. A lot of uh, buildings were burnt out. People were sort of like terrified by gangs and drug addicts. And it was just extremely uh, unhealthy to, to live you know, in, um, in, in many boroughs. So uh, a lot of community people got together uh, with activists, artists, intellectuals, and they decided that it's time for us to do something about it and take action. So slowly they start cleaning these really empty lots uh, and then at the beginning, they start uh, planting vegetables because honestly, food is the number one priority. And then as people got more and more together, they start planting flowers and plants. And what people don't know is right now, New York City has about 500 community gardens in the five uh, boroughs. Uh, some of them are very small, but they're still community gardens. And some of them can be the width of a building. So these are sort of like the more prominent ones. Uh, uh, there is a whole number of gardens, equally about 500 that have been destroyed. So we can understand what, what the loss of the city this has been. And still a lot of gardens are faced with the eviction because real estate is very uh, expensive in New York City. Uh, these are beautiful places, empty lots. A lot of developers are thinking, well, here comes the new condominium. So the the struggle is always going on. So many of these gardens right now are facing an uncertain future. Well, a lot of them are under the Green Thumb organization, so they are protected. But again, it's it yeah, they're based on on, on membership. They have um, often the, uh, the the protocol changes of what really constitutes a community garden. So a lot of them are under protection, but there's always this sort of like uh, back in the mind worry, like in Elizabeth Street Garden, for example, uh, in Soho, which there's a whole litigation going on. They want to build a, 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 a nursing place, in essence. So it's like what gives, or the other gardens where uh, a New York University is very much interested in sort of like allocating their space. So there's an uneasiness about, uh, and of course, funding. I mean, without money, uh, how are these gardens going to survive? What would you say these gardens mean to the communities they're located in? Oh, I, I think 
uh, and this is really what drew me most to them. It's all about culture and heritage and survival because a lot of these uh, community gardens really were established by people where, where they were like the first uh, Puerto Ricans who arrived in New York City or a lot of people from West Indies, uh, Italians, African Americans. So in essence, there were these small havens that not only it was a place to sort of like safeguard the community, but it was also a little signature of what they brought with them. And that's why so many gardens have their own distinct characteristic because in essence they represent their own culture. And this is the part that drew me so immediately because uh, I was born in Greece and I could walk in a garden, I could see like a grapevine. And I'd be like, oh my God, my grandfather had a grapevine. And they'll be like, wow, where are you from? And I'll be, so, um, and I think that is really so inspiring because each one of us can find something to relate to in these small communities. Uh, so that, I think for me, that's like the most important part of, of, of these places. When did you first come to New York from Greece, Anna? I came in 1980, uh, 1985 to study art, a school of visual arts. I was offered uh, an internship and I never left. So my whole family is, is still in Athens. Do you remember the first community garden you came across in the city? Yes, I was. It was actually the Liz Christie Garden, which was down at um, Houston in the Bowery. And of course, back then I had no idea what it was. All I remember were these sort of like very exuberant people uh, getting together. And I remember the colorful clothes and sort of like digging the earth and planting things. And I remember like, wow. I wonder what they're doing and how sort of like cool it looked. But it took me um, a lot of time uh, and only really in, in the mid, like 2006, 2007, I really became aware of their existence. So here I was living in the city for so long and yet I had not a real understanding of the magnitude of, of these places. Now, the Liz Christie Garden on the Lower East Side is considered the oldest community garden in the city, right? Yes, it, it, was, uh, it was really established in uh, 1973. And there is a very lovely story behind it, which is really a sad story, because, again, it was one of those uh, devastated empty lots. And uh, it, it was like a very, uh, as the story goes, it was a very, uh, one of those frigid winters, and three homeless people were found, in essence, uh, frozen to death. Mm. inside this, this lot and that sort of like rattled the community and then a few weeks later a group of, of children were playing in the same lot uh, around an, um, uh, a refrigerator an old refrigerator and Liz Christie who was um, a painter a graphic designer an activist and very sort of like involved with the community was horrified to see these kids sort of like playing around and um, she was a member of the Green uh, Gorillas, um, a very sort of like a, 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 an organization focused on, on the environment. So they decided that it's time to take action and do something about it. And uh, one of the things they are known for are their uh, green bombs that would take balloons and they would put peat and seeds and flowers and they would drive around and just toss them over uh, fences and see what takes or what doesn't. So that is truly uh, where it all started in many ways. 
Talk to us about how you found solace in a community garden after your father passed away. Well, it, that is actually where it all began. And like, I was, um, I was in Athens at uh, his funeral. And then I came back here. I was very close with him. He was a traveler and sea captain. And when I came back to New York, I was like, I just needed to spend a little time and kind of like gather together my thoughts about what he meant to me. And I was seeking for a quiet place. So I was walking down on uh, Avenue C and 9th Street and I literally saw this sign that said the garden is open. So I walked in and I was totally unaware of where I was really entering. And then I found it was like a little magical space. Uh, it was like a beginning of middle of spring actually. Everything was blooming. There were these beautiful uh, uh, trees and flowers and uh, this amazing uh, woman Maria who sort of like greeted me. And I just found a little quiet corner and, and, and sat there. And then I went again, back again and again, and suddenly I realized that, wait, this is not just the only garden here. Look at all this greenery. So that's where the idea came, but just realizing that this is something that I didn't know about it. And also when I spoke to others, they would say to me, where are these gardens? We live in the neighborhood, uh, we haven't seen them. So that's how it all, uh, it all started. And I still go back to these places for solace. They are sort of like my, my saving ground in the city. So what was your process like documenting these gardens and finding them? Because in the book you say for some of these gardens, unless you know where they are, you could easily miss them. Uh, that is an excellent question. And I still miss them. Uh, at, at first, I knew that I, I, I looked on, on, on on, on the internet and I found where the majority of them were located. But there's so so many that I would see two or three of them and then I'll go back the next day and I couldn't find them. So at first I had literally uh, a small pad and I created a little map and I would say, okay, ninth and second street in this beautiful garden. I didn't even know their names back, back then with the metal sculptures or all the very sweet woman who welcomed me, little notes like this. and. As I was starting to take the photographs, I start feeling that I need to organize it. I need to organize it for myself. This is before like a book idea or anything was that was, was, was occurring. And then I start creating my sort of like, right now there are maps for the community gardens, but back in 2005, there, were, there was nothing like that. So I was creating my own sort of like road, road map. And then I said, well, you know, if I was to share this idea and, and this gardens with others, people need to have access to them. People need to be able to sort of like enjoy them as opposed to spend two hours trying to find them and then giving up. So that's when the idea came to include maps of the, of the, of the different areas with the, with the names of the gardens and hours and sort of like websites if they have any. Information. The gardens of St. Luke in the fields on the west side is one of those gardens that you say in the book that if you don't know where it is, you just might miss it. What makes that garden special? Uh, for me, it was, uh, again, it was to say it, it, it's a church. And although I do not consider myself a religious person, there is something about that particular block that it is very, very, there's something very 
enchanting and peaceful. So I do remember distinctly, it was like late in the afternoon, the sun was setting and I passed by the church and I said, wow, what a beautiful place. I've never been in here. And then I looked up and there was this brick wall with this beautiful foliage cascading. And then there was this tiny little gate. So I put through and then I see a garden and there were just a few people just reading their books or sort of like just sitting there or chatting. And I was like, I have walked on this street so many times and I never looked up. So here's another thing about walking over and over an area and really not seeing. And that's really what the book is about as well. Not seeing. We do things, we take same paths and yet we are not aware of what is around us. So after that, I started reading more about it, uh, about this particular uh, garden, uh, how active it was in the community and how active it was uh, uh, when the AIDS epi epidemic was around and how much uh, uh, welcoming the uh, were to, the, to, to everybody who was in need and the poor. So it was one of those gardens that had to go uh, into the book. I was going to ask you the question, how did you go about learning the histories of these gardens? Because you include a lot of the history behind these gardens. Well, I have to clarify that I'm not a historian. So uh, I chose the gardens that spoke to me as a person. The gardens have personality and the people have personalities. And this is really what drew me there are some gardens that I did not include in the book that they are very well known and very famous, but those most of the people know about. I photographed about 260 gardens just in Manhattan. Out of those, I chose 48 for the book. And each garden of those, I wanted to have a little story behind it because I felt that people, if, if you have 300 pages of greenery, people start losing interest but if you have a story then it makes them very unique and then the story of course was was based on my experiences when when i walked in there little notes that i took little things that i observed so each one of them is is really like a small signature of uh, of places that meant something to me and hopefully will mean something to others your book documents community gardens on the Lower East Side, the West Side, East Harlem, and West Harlem, right? Yes. Getting back to the LES, you describe the Elizabeth Street Garden as an outdoor museum. Tell us about that garden. Yes. So uh, this garden really goes back in, in, uh, in time. Uh, right next to it, there is an antique store. And again, uh, same story, vacant lot. Uh, people getting together, the actual owner of the antique store, sort of like with the help of the community, start cleaning up the grounds. And then they start moving out a lot of statues or artifacts from the antique store. And they created this, this small museum. You can find uh, Roman statues, or at least replicas. Uh, you can find uh, art installations, amidst the flowers. So for me, that's what I call him. Uh, that's why I call this garden. Let's talk about the Earth People Community Garden. What a whimsical place that looks like based on your photos. 
the earth people. Oh my God. Uh, the flamingo, right? The pink flamingo. Yeah. Yes. See, I still have, I still have my own names about it. Well, this is, uh, it, this is, uh, this garden is on 8th street and between Avenue uh, C and uh, B. Now this garden is really like, it, it's, a, it's a traditional casita based on um, the original uh, Puerto Rican families. When they had these gardens, they had uh, a wooden structure, which was usually built at the very back of the garden. They had a rug in front of it because often the earth was so polluted, so they needed some kind of you know isolation and protection from from all the chemicals in <laughs> inside the, the earth. Uh, there is a small shed in the back of the house of the small house for tools. There is always a Puerto Rican flag welcoming you at the entrance, and there is always um, the statue of uh, Madonna, which is hidden in the garden. But if you look around, if it's a true garden she's going to be there. So this particular garden does not follow any hours, although there are hours posted. It's more like a community, a community place that every Sunday the gates are open. People are gathering and they're selling shoes and clothes, but mostly it's for people getting together and conversing and chatting and sharing uh, the news for uh, the neighborhood. I first saw that garden in winter so everything was covered in, in snow and there were these pink birds sort of like poking out. <laughs> I was like, what is this thing here? And that's again, I had to wait for the seasons to go back and um, just talking to people because there's some gardens that there's no really any history other than what you get from the actual uh, members and the actual people who are out there. Yeah, I was wondering about that. How do these gardens change from season to season? How different are the lives they take on? It's fascinating. First of all, that's the thing. The gardens are like a museum. They change exhibits. You can go to a garden that you think you saw in spring, and then you go back in summer, and it's completely metamorphosized. There is much more foliage, or you go in the winter, and you're like, what happened here? It's devastated. The other magical thing that happens is that people are very active, so things move around. I have photographs of, of objects that I photograph and they are not to be found again, or they are, they are moved to a certain area, different area in the garden. Sometimes they switch gardens and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that statue was over there. So there's always this continuous change and it makes it very intriguing because you go back to visit your friends, in quote, and your friends are missing, or you find something new and you're like, when did that happen? Same thing with murals. You, you see a wall, you admire it, and then two years later, you're like, I think that mural was here, but it's gone now. So it's always alive, and, and I love this part. It, it doesn't end. I mean, even with a book being published, when I visit the gardens, I continue taking photographs. Hmm. because. There's always something new to photograph. At least one garden in the book is on a rooftop, and that's the Hell's Kitchen Farm. Describe that one for us. Yes. I had no idea, obviously, about this garden. But then as I was doing um, the west side, again, there's something about churches. And, and as I walk around, I saw this church, and there was a big line of homeless people uh, waiting outside. So I asked this young man who was at the stairs, and I said, 
what's going on here? And they said, oh, we are, every Sunday we give uh, uh, food out to homeless people and we actually produce our own food. And I said, you do? Where? He said, oh, we have a roof garden that is all with vegetables. And, and I'm like, at the top of the church? <laughs> and they said, yes. So I said, is, is it possible for me to visit? They're like, yeah, go upstairs. So I walked up five, uh, five flights of steps and it was crazy because I was surrounded by these skyscrapers, uh, big cranes, and there was this uh, these three young volunteers with uh, Kate, another uh, volunteer, and they were just planting vegetables, basil, and uh, you know uh, any any anything you could imagine. Marigolds they were around. There was even an apple tree blooming, like apples in the middle of the city. I went back to this garden uh, a few times. I wanted to go back there at dusk because I'm sure they would have been uh, astonishing. But that's the other thing you often have, you often have to accommodate hours that the places are open. So I never uh, made it back, but this garden is really, really uh, active and a wonderful place to, to visit. Quite peaceful actually in the middle of the city. And then there is an herb garden in East Harlem that you take us to in the book. Before I talk about this, it's very interesting because when you visit, let's say, East Harlem, because of socioeconomic conditions, they are poorer in terms of beautiful flowers, let's say that, like the gardens in the West Side. So you find a lot of plastic flowers. So there are still flowers, but there's not enough money to go out and, and get the new begonias or the new, you know, seeds for the season. Um, West Harlem is particularly distinct because of the produce that they cultivate. This is the emphasis in most, in most of those gardens. So um, again, when I walked there, I thought I was like in a mini market because not only they have their own herbs, but they ask you, do you need anything or do you want to take something home or come back in a week because we're going to have a, a giveaway. And the other thing that I, I kind of like did not mention was that all these places are really very much focused on education. So a lot of these gardens are really there to educate the young and the old alike. So when they have, let's say, vegetables or herbs, they teach how to cultivate them, why they are important how you should preserve them, how you can you know, grow something this in your windowsill. So there's always a reason behind why they are there. And there's always, there's always an activity or a volunteer day. Um, huge, huge uh, boost in, in education for, for all the communities. Yeah, I was going to say, must be something great for kids in the community too, to see and learn the, the gardens are, and I'm talking about all of them, small or young, they are so imbued with, with the seasons and the celebrations like Halloween, Christmas, uh, May Day, um, theater performances, poetry readings. Like they, there's so much activity and so much um, learning and small groups for kids. There are little excursions to introduce them to the different gardens, there are parades, but also there are sort of like serious events. Weddings take place there, or sometimes memorials. 
people gather to honor someone. So they really cater, uh, and this is how actually a lot of the gardens do make some money by catering these events. And that's why it's so beautiful and important to support these events and participate. And some of them are totally free. They are just open. They post, we have this big gathering, come and join us. Cookouts, I mean, everything. I love the name and look of the Dream Street Park. Tell us about that one. Well, this is one of the most magical for me because I really, I don't even know if it's a garden anymore. I was just walking by that street and I saw this willow tree and then, and then this gorgeous mural like in the side of an entire building. And I was, what is this? And then I noticed the, the gate and there was this, this beautiful heart sort of like smelted on the gate. And as I walked in there, the garden was in very bad shape. There was a homeless man who was really, really going through a, a crisis or something. And, but he kind of like almost was, was, it made sense that he was there. It was as if he had found his own little shelter. So I didn't feel threatened or anything. Like he was having, in essence, his, 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 his demons, fighting his demons. And here I was sort of like walking around and looking at this, uh, at this mural. And then suddenly everything grew quiet. We were all quiet. And I was very intrigued by the mural because I didn't know what it was about it. And I was very intrigued by uh, the heart. So as I was walking out, there was this elderly man and I said, wow, this is such an amazing uh, uh, place. And he said to me, oh, you know, they used to do voodoo magic here and voodoo magic here, you know, in the old time. And I said, really? He says, oh yeah, yeah. So we left it at that. And then I went back on the internet and I started researching the garden. And indeed, there was a, an article in the New York Times about 12 years ago or something that mentioned that that particular shape of a heart was, uh, it's almost like a talisman for the goddess Azili, who is um, a Haitian goddess. And she's the goddess of love. And um, she can also be very vindictive. So it's a very powerful uh, deity. And in the article, in the Times article, it mentioned that indeed, there were um, certain ceremonies taking place there. So the older man was giving me accurate information. And also the article mentioned that the path is in the shape of a heart. So I went back and kind of like I said, yes, that is true. Now, of course, some would say, look, it's just a beautiful heart. Someone sort of like felt and created it. And that's that. But it does, uh, it is a little intriguing because there is also a certain, um, there's a certain energy about the place that feels very, very unique from other gardens that I visited. So it's highly recommended. We mentioned Liz Christie, but who are among the other champions of community gardens you've met or you've learned about that we really should know? Well, uh, there are a lot of organizations right now. Uh, one uh, which is very, very important to, to mention is a New York Restoration Project. This is uh, run by Beth Midler. It's, um, they are privately owned, meaning that these gardens were about to be destroyed by the city and uh, 
she was always very active in the community. And in essence, she went out there and said, I'm buying this place and so nobody can touch them. And since then, uh, New York Restoration Project has become this extraordinary organization com committed and dedicated to the, to the gardens. And also because of Beth Midler, there is a lot of support from uh, big uh, like theater, artists, performers, musicians. So I always want to, uh, to mention her because it's one of the few people who generally is out there helping the community. <laughs> And actually, she can be seen cleaning the garden. So I find I find her very um, very instrumental in her organization. A lot of uh, strong organizations exist in um, the Lower East Side. Uh, there is um, uh, Go Lowes, which is Go Lower East Side, which are very very actively um, engaged. Uh, there is um, La Plaza Cultural, which is another garden which is very, very active. It's political and it's also very um, artistic as well. Uh, then you have individual people who are sort of like the prima donnas of the garden, but they are the essence of the garden, like Maria that I found on 9th, uh, 9th Street. And then we have um, this, other <laughs> this other amazing woman on Covent Garden. So. It's a combination of most of the times the people are hidden. Like it's not as if you go out there and you find names plastered on walls. But once you start asking, you will find uh, you find a lot of uh, of important people uh, spending and giving time and money to these places. The book again is rooted in the hood, an intimate portrait of New York City's community gardens. Anna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Big thanks to Anna Angeladakis for joining us. And that's it for this episode of Cityscape. Our producer is Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening.